Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So guys, welcome back to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. Uh, joined as ever by my good friend, uh, Glenn Hicks. Glenn, how you doing, pal? Good, thanks, mate. We've got great weather in London, so I'm in good spirits. Good, it's about 35 degrees here uh, where I am, so, you know, it's just it's not that hot, good here. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, back, let's cut to the chase. So today we're talking about possession. Lovely little um, sort of continuation or flow from the last show. We talked about the 1v1 duel, the individual stuff. It's like, you know, so we go from almost that individual possession into group possession so uh yeah so uh what, what's your your general thoughts here any, any general thoughts on, on coaching possession um yeah it's a good starting point because that's where i always start as well sort of be honest again i know i've probably said this like a strap and i keep bringing it back to the individual and it doesn't matter what possession practice you set up of course you want it age relative and, and age specific but it always comes back to the individual ball responsibilities for me you've still got to be able to receive the ball well retain the ball well individually um, whether that's big space or little space. You've got to release the ball well, so your ball striking and your passing technique's got to be good. And then on the flip side of it, in any possession practice, you've got to be really good at retrieving the ball. So I, I zoom in on all of those techniques and skills to, to come out within the practice first and foremost, and then build it from there, build it from there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, yeah, the, the key areas, if you're thinking like about bigger picture stuff, so I think about, you know, for example... <clears throat> You know, we look at the modern game, Guardiola, you know, what he's done to change football in this country. You know, that is the benchmark in terms of possession. Do you know what I mean? His Barcelona team and what Man City do. That's the sort of pinnacle, isn't it? Uh, where you want to get to if you're working on Ethereum, you know, if you want to keep the ball because they're, they're so good at it. So the question is how you get there and then how, you, how do you coach the kids, the players, the young players, the boys and girls to sort of get that possession in there? And I was always, you know, we've always talked about, you know, I talk about it a lot. And I, you know, you, you know, we've had the discussion about, you know, when and where to do it. You know, for example, the rondos, we could talk about a little bit. And how, you know, I, I always go back to the same analogy, you know, when we we're working at Tottenham, we had the under nines and, you know, the under tens, you know, we were just solely focusing on individual possession. You know, we had the other nines group, we didn't do any group possession at all, no possession at all, you know, and, you know, that the, the outcomes of that were obviously amazing in small sided 66, you know, tight spaces. And then, you know, playing 8v8, we get absolutely hammered and turned over. But then moving up into the uh, 9v9 when they got to an under 11s, and because I was lucky enough to coach those same age groups, the ones with Skip, Oliver Skip in and a few other boys, the one who won the under 17s World Cup, you know, what I noticed that when we did introduce group possession, it was so much easier, you know, introducing that 11 because technically they were so good. They were so unbelievably technically good in individual possession. When, you were, when we went into that group possession stuff and then teaching that, you know, those, those, you know, getting your head up and play, it was so much easier for them to play one touch because they had all that individual technical ability. And then the bonus of that is also then they could break lines with the ball at their feet. They could dribble with the breaking lines. They could also pass and move and get their head up. So but I always revert back to that. You know, we're talking about, you know, when I see the stuff like on socials with the under sevens and under eights doing loads of rondo and possession stuff, which I'm not saying anything wrong with that necessarily. But if you go too far that way, is that when do the when do you get the individual possession stuff? You know what I mean? It's a lot more mm -hmm. difficult to teach someone to beat a player with the ball at their feet rather than to get your head up and find a pass. What's yeah, your, again, your thoughts again, on that? So when, when you look at uh, the lad you mentioned there, Skippy, for example, and obviously we've both worked with him at some point and 
various age groups within the academy. But Harry Kane, I think, is a perfect example for that model. And the stuff I was talking about, linking it back to the 1v1 duel, about them finding their place. Um, Harry Kane's found himself at the top end of the pitch, but he still has their midfield attributes, like we said before. And a lot of that comes from the 1v1 domination and, and then going into possession practice as he gets older and more refining his skills. But, you know, again, you look at his passing the other day. So he's exceptional at retaining the ball, you know, he twists and turns, he secures, secures the ball well. But his passing, for example, is, I just think it's one of the best in the world. It's not a case of, you know, I don't think it's even debatable anymore, especially that penetrating pass or that final pass like he does to Son. Um, and and what again, what that is, maybe that comes from at such a young age, being able to play under maximum pressure, you kind of become pressure proof. You can become pressure resistant. It, like, it doesn't matter how many players are clambering over your back because of the phone box stuff and whatever else. And, and then like you say, when, when you all of a sudden got one or two players on an overload and you've got a little bit more time and space on a bigger pitch as you grow, the game becomes a lot easier. And I agree with you. I think that's one of the key things we should always work out. We've got to be careful with possession. So, with the young ones, so I'll play, a, this, that's a 3v1 box, whatever size you want to do it, 8 by 8 or 10 by 10 whatever you can still work on the three and say, we're going to work out a pass and receiving today. But I always really obsess about um, what the one's got to do. So actually that don't, don't just neglect the one in the middle. So if that one is trying to retrieve the ball, encourage good retrieving of the ball, but then it almost becomes like a phone box game. So now you've got to wriggle your way out of the square. Don't just kick it out of play. Don't just toe poke it out. That's not good enough. When you win it, can you break out of this box that you're in? So it's almost against one one versus three. So there's a really extreme element of technique there as well within the practice. Yeah, you talk about three ones. I mean, I still say, you know, because obviously I'm talking about rondos and, I, and you know, I, I might question coaches when using them, over-reliant on them. But <clears throat> for me, it's still the best way to teach possession in terms of introducing key principles of possession. You know, your 3v1s, your 4v2s, your 5v2s. You know, for me, that's the best way to, in terms of talking about players in terms of, you know, uh, working and finding angles of support playing there, inviting pressure in, playing around pressure, that sort of thing. So they're, they're really important tools. I'm not a big fan of the 4v1, unless they're real beginners. I find that a little bit static, just mm. standing in the square. <clears throat> but I definitely like a big fan of that, you know, 3v1, players in the square rather than on the line around the outside, like players in there, so there's a lot more movement. You know, the, the onus on the players to find those angles, find that space to stretch the pitch. And again, to 4v2, I love a little 4v2. Like just like playing playing nice quickly. If I'm you know, I'm a big advocate of working on third man runs as much as possible. And you know, working in the four v twos or like five v twos or those little those little constant we can those get those split passes out. But now they're really, really um really, really powerful as well. I, I mean I go back to those times again working with those those elevens groups and working up possession. And for me it was always that those 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 little practices there and also then just creating overloads in small sided games. And then having that, you know, for example, you know, 4v4 plus one, you know, and, and, you know, maybe, you know, using the use of the magic man or floaters, it could be even a topic in itself for a whole show. But I find that really, I remember Chris telling me one actually say he doesn't like floaters because it comes all about the floater, all about the magic man. But I was like, for me, for the onus is like, I'm stressing the player is that, look, there's a spare pass on the pitch somewhere. Do you know what I mean? So you're, it's your own to get your head up and find it quick. So it's about that awareness, that balance to find it. So, because there's no excuse, it's a 4v4 plus one. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Find where the overload is and play that pass quick or, you know, drive them in that, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that, that's a real powerful tool as well to use for it. And obviously then, you know, working up the age groups, you know, you've got your 44 plus threes and all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, I think, I think again, it's about the skill of the coach there that I saw in your session design. So you could put a magic man in the session, but you can position him somewhere different. So 
if you've got a young centre-back under nine, under tens that needs to work on the ball under less pressure, you put him at the bottom end of the box and say, right, that little zone at the bottom end is, is unopposed. So he's actually got time to get his head up and serve his forward passes. And there'll be enough pressure on the forward pass anyway because he's playing into like a central midfield area. So there's already enough pressure on that forward pass. If you want to pick up that magic man and dump him right in the middle of the box, so now it's a 3v3 but plus one in the middle of a box, he's working more like a number 10. So he's got to find the space within the area if you do the opposite and you place that magic man at the top end of the box and you say well actually we're playing a little 3v3 here but the game is hit the nine you wrap it up to the number nine and he's on like maybe make a little offside line you know you've got two mannequins there and say right your job is to stay on side but be a target so that little player now is still a magic man but he's focusing as like a whole can he receive it and then we say okay whoever hits the number nine like you just said about the third man, Ryan, you, someone from your team can make a, a run beyond him and he can slide you in like a Harry Kane. So, so it's about how you use that magic man as well. Do you know what I mean? And to flip it on its head, so I sometimes uh, do the opposite and I call it the Kante role. Sometimes put that extra player in there to be a spoiler of the possession game. So if you've got a 3v3 or a 2v2, whatever your numbers are, and you say, right, you know what? They're dominating the ball so well. I want that little bit more pressure just at the ball. Put someone in there for a minute at a time and say, right, your job is to be like Kante. Can you go and work on your retrieving and just hustle this ball? Go and sprint and press. When you win the ball, pop it back to the coach or give them an out-pass target. Um, so, again, it's just about how you use that magic man skillfully, I think. And it, and yeah, it's it funny. That different it's outcomes. Like, yeah, because I, I, funny, cause I did a session last night, actually, in uh, over here, and same had two... Had like about, I had uh, 16 players, or whatever. So I had two 3v3s to two targets going at the same time. And, and then and then plus one. So three 3v2 plus one. So one magic man each. And on one of them, I noticed that one team was just popping it. It was just too easy. So I took the magic man out and made him actually go for the other team. So the other team was underloaded. I suppose that's what you say, isn't it? So just seeing yeah. that actually that one's, that one's functioning really well. And actually, that one maybe was more balanced. This one here, actually, they need to be underloaded to, mm. to give them the challenge. And I suppose, really, you know, you're talking about the football at the highest level. That's the sort of, you know, we're, we're trying to work, develop players who can who can play underloaded, right? Definitely, mate. And like I said, you know, I, I used um, free, free players to help design the session. So I'll try and link it together, here, for example. So you've got three groups of three. Let's say you've got nine players. Sometimes you can have a random number like that, right? And if you just set up... Um, let them play in one box first and you've got a three V three and then a spine of three players. And again, whether you want to put that spine, so you've got three oranges and three yellows in the middle and three pinks become your spine. So you've got one at the top end, like a nine, one at the bottom end, like a five or six and one in the middle, like just an extra player. So you've got a massive overload, but you, yes, you get a lot of dominant possession and a lot of receiving skills, but you still get your one V one stuff. And again, you can manipulate that by making the area tighter and you'll get even more stuff under pressure where they have to use their skill to get out. If you then just add another box to that sort and we play, okay, we've still got nine players and we go right now, we've got a 10 by 10 box and it's adjoined to another 10 by 10 box. You can, you can play a similar game, but with different outcomes. So now three yellows are in one box, three pinks are in the other box. The, the three blues or the other team are now defending the middle line and pressing the ball. So all you say is you put two on the middle line and one player comes in to press the ball. So you now got a 3v1. But the objective is more directional now, like you said about the penetrating pass, that game changer, that split pass. So the three pinks are keeping it, but you tell them your objective is can, how many times can you play through this middle line? So, so now you've got the yellows popping the ball, but now you encourage them to look for the forward pass. Can you play the split pass or that one down the sides and you get it across to the other team? They play the pass through 
as the game transfers, one from the line goes and presses, the other one squeezes up to the line. So on, on a defensive side of it as well, so they're, they're learning the game. You've got one lad pressing the ball and the other two working on not just standing there like kids often do, but you're encouraging them to look. You're not chasing the ball or pressing the ball. You're putting pressure on the pass. So can you mm. look to screen a forward pass and block it? Then you get all your busquets work, you know, where yeah. are they looking for the pass? And, and again, it's just how you structure the session to, to, to get the different outcomes. I think yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I use the same sort of practice there. You've got that middle zone, you've got to try and play through the middle zone to a spare mm. player. And then, you know, it's almost a 3v3 plus 3, but there's like a 4v2 in there with two extra ones at the top sort of thing. So yeah. I like that as well. <clears throat> but I so said that you, you mentioned the word directional there, and I think that's a real interesting key word, isn't it? I remember I did on my A license, I did, I had a, a session about trying to play through two middle pivot players, and I did for like a warm up, did like a 5v2 rondo, all the players. And, you know, so and I was just talking about, obviously, like, you know, stretching, the, trying to stretch the middle two to try and play through, possibly if not playing around type thing. And the feedback was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, maybe you can make it a bit more directional if, you know, uh, you know, if you had it, for example. And I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I was what loads and loads of volume. And they were like, yeah. And, then, and I remember a guy called Shane who works at Northampton, the top coach, nice guy. He said, yeah, actually, maybe. Because I was saying, I want more volume. He goes, well, maybe when you're working with older players at the top end, it's to, it could be much more. It's more position specific, if you like, and so it's but less about volume and more about volume of actual realistic op- where they're going to play. And I and I've sleep, when working recently with Dan Machichi, Arsenal, I think is one of the best coaches I've ever seen in the world. Unbelievable in terms of him. He does a real. He does a similar sort of four v two or five v two where it's similar to put to two goals, and then you've got to play around. So you've got two defenders in the middle or three in the middle. They've got to try and win it, and they if they win it, they go press, they can score. But then you've got your goalie, you've got your fullbacks playing out wide, so it's much more position specific if that's if that makes sense. And I think yeah, mm-hmm. so I think I think that's what we do. You know, if we work with the younger ones, you just do just want lots of different you know volume of different interpretations of seeing as a left and a right and a split, and can you find the split? Whereas when you're getting older, it is much more right. Yeah, you know, if my my fullbacks there, I want them in that fullback position, receiving and trying to play forward or trying mm-hmm. to play through the middle and giving them as much realistic opportunities to replicate what's going to happen in, in their their game time right yeah I, I, I think it's more it's as much as that about I think it's about concepts and context so so if you're playing that simple game like we said like I love the 1v1 combat zone and 2v2 like you do with the two targets it becomes like 4v2 or yeah. 3v1 right but yeah for me the concepts still remain the same so you've got depth, you've got height, and you've got a core in that game. The only thing really missing from that game is width because you ain't got outside players, right? So yeah. if in all of our possession games we're introducing concepts of the game and basic team structure, well, you can get that. The minute you've got three players, you can get that because you've got someone deep, you've got someone giving you height like a number nine or a winger, forward player, mm. and you've got a core. And if you introduce them concepts, that doesn't matter. Now, if we double them numbers and we go 6v6 rather than 3v3, well, actually, you just had two players on the outside now you've got like a winger or a fullback. So guys, understand the concept. Your, your responsibility in this game now, from a game point of view, is if you're a Trent, you're giving us width. Width and height maybe, or width and depth, depending on where the ball is. But you're giving us width first and foremost. So stay out there, play from there. And again, if you just drop that in as a concept under nine, well, you, then you just continue to grow the concept. And, uh, and again, the concept of a forward pass, a forward pass is a forward pass, in my opinion. And yes, there's different types. Of course, we can get into the nuances and the intricacies of disguise, delay, timing. Um, but then the situation just changes. So if I'm a centre half, I'm Van Dyke, and I'm playing into midfield at halfway line, I'm playing a slightly less pressured pass with a bit more space. If I'm David Silva turning on the half turn 30 yards from goal or young Joe Bloggs, 
near the penalty box and I'm playing a forward pass like Harry Kane or like Hoiberg the other night when he clipped a lovely one through to Kane or a Dennis Bergkamp style pass. Of course, there's more technical detail, there's more precision. But again, that's about understanding concepts. And for me, the game doesn't change. If I am nine years old, so, and I'm trying to play that little threaded pass through the Ivan Needle, I think in terms of the concept and what's required as a skill, it's the same as the top, top level, but obviously diluted down. Because if you're Johnny at grassroots or Kevin De Bruyne in the Premier League, of course, there's more pressure on it. But yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? I, if we're putting concepts in there yeah. in our practice, we can grow. Yeah, I, mean, but I, think, I suppose the argument is that how you want to, you want to link it back to that player's experiences in their specific position in the game as many as possible. So I agree. Because, like, you know, if I want to try and find a split pass, I want to find a split pass. But it might be, you know, I'm a fullback, you know, playing it through the middle players or playing it back for a strike or whatever. It's always a split. But maybe that, you know, if I'm a right back, I want to be trying to receive it you know, off onto my right side and try to play forward or cut away and that sort of thing. I suppose you make it a little bit more specific. But I mean, yeah, I, I still think there's, 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 there's always an argument. Listen, I, I love those 4v2 games. I mean, even in mm. Walmart, I told you the other day, those split passes, I think they work all over the pitch. What about, you know, another thing back about Guardiola and his height at Barcelona, I remember quite vividly and, you know, we're trying to keep the ball all the time. I remember going to Chelsea, actually, and at one point, Neil Barr was talking about, he, he thought that there was too much possession, maybe not enough direction, do you know what I mean? Mm. And sort of like we went too far that way. We've gone from like, you know, English football, you know, just sticking it in, in the channels or in a mixer or, you know, like a hot potato to maybe having too much. You know, talk, I remember uh, a couple of coaches talk about it as well. You know, everything's too tight spaces. They've gone too tight and they want to do do that. What's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Again, I think that's, and I don't want to sound like I'm not answering the questions sitting on the fences, but I think that's about, so I heard... Javi talking the other day about instincts and intuition of Pedri and Gavin, all these young players. And it seems like, you know, the other night, what manifested the 4-0 win against Barca. I think all that's happened is, is Javi has returned to Barcelona and reminded, reminded everyone at the club, this is what we do at Barcelona, because they've got a similar group of players. I know he's going to bought some forward players that give him a bit of penetration, but... And, and that comes from having a philosophy. So, and again, I think it comes down to what your values are. So when you're coaching kids, if you've got a philosophy that streamlines through, if you're lucky enough to work at a club like that, then they're going to be developing core values and the way they want to play. And in terms of concepts of the game and stuff like that. But I, just, I, think, it's, I think it's really important to be consistent with messages when you're coaching, whatever it is you're trying to develop. There's, does that make sense in terms of what your philosophy is? What are we trying to achieve here? What are we trying to get out of the session? And again, if it's, for example, ours is a 1v1 domination philosophy, then keep bringing it back to that. Where did it fall down on the 1v1 domination or outplaying or every ever, ever we want to word it? Um, yeah. It's got well, to be yeah, but I, I just think if you think about youth development, my, my take is like, you know, you took me to Barcelona and I'm lucky when we had Albert Capellas on the show, who's now, he was Academy Director of Barcelona, he's gone back now to Academy Director of Barcelona. I did an interview with him as well. He talked about, they talk about Superman there, where basically they want their players to play like Superman. So they make everything really tight and everything really speed and everything really quick. And as, as I use the analogy similar for my ball mastery in the 1v1 stuff. You know, you want your players to play like Superman. They can do anything on the ball because they're used to playing at such a high intensity in such, in the, such a tight spaces. And like you said before as well, like it's easier to coach players to play in a bigger space than it is in a, in a harder to coach them to play in a tighter space. It's also easier, I think, to get players to play forward quicker rather than to keep the ball. I think keeping the ball is really difficult. So I don't, I don't actually, if I'm thinking about it, I don't mind, you know, maybe not with the younger age, but when especially again to YDP, maybe they are overdoing it a bit. Maybe they are keeping it a bit too much. You know, maybe they are dominating possession and maybe not have being a, having enough 
actions on goal, maybe you sacrifice that because it is so difficult to keep the ball. Do you know what I mean? And if you mm-hmm. can, like I say, produce, develop a culture where players really want to dominate the ball, dominate possession, then those other things, that leads to those other things. You know, you say like the other team can't score a goal if you've got the ball. So maybe you do allow them to have a little bit too much possession, overcook it a little bit, wherever you want to talk about it, because maybe down the road you're thinking, yeah, well, when they get to 18, wow, if they're still popping it like that, if they've been doing yeah. that since they were 11 and 12 and they just pop it, like you say, and that's in the club DNA, isn't it? Rather yeah. than thinking, you know, let's just get it and that's enough of that kind of break lines and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and again, it's that um, consistency of your philosophy and stuff like that. But I, I would say one of the most frustrating things is so when you watch a lovely warm-up, you know, on the side of the pitch, and I've seen this on a first-team pitch or semi-pro pitch in the grassroots pitch, where they play a little keep ball session before the game. It's all popping, popping, popping. And then as soon as they kick off, they just shell it. They just <laughs> pump it up the pitch. And I think, well, you might as well have been practising that. Play it into your number nine and practise that as a warm-up. So... I think I think as long as as long as they're trying to do the right stuff, and what I mean by the right stuff is it's not always got to look pretty, but they're trying to do they're trying to play a technical game or a possession based game where you bring it out lots of stuff. You're giving them so the more you kick a ball over a kid's head, a child's head, and the ball goes long, that they're missing out on tons of stuff. They're missing out on movement stuff. They're missing out on receiving stuff. They're missing out on retaining stuff under pressure. There's loads of stuff you're missing out on as much as it's the easy way, um, and I just think. Going back to the intuition and instincts thing, Saul, I think when you look at... So Busquets, I think he's going to take the baton on from Xavi in terms of being the next manager. I can see him at 45. He'll take the baton on. And that comes from intelligence, doesn't it? And I think a big thing with possession, Saul, is, is the when and the why. I think what separates some of these young Barcelona players, for example, and we're using them as the pinnacle, or young Manchester City players now, and Guardiola's implemented, is there's a level of intelligence there where they're... They're, they're such sensory footballers that they just know they have this feel for the game in terms of timing. And that's about when do we be progressive? When do we penetrate and really go for them? And when do we just put our foot in and be patient now? And again, I think that's a skill. So I don't think there's one set way. I think we have to have that understanding of coaches if we're going to impart it on our players in terms of concepts of, do you know what I mean? Understand, really understanding possession. What's your thoughts then, for example, you know, an academy, you know, an academy football team, you know, 13, 14, just sticking it behind the team, sticking in the mixer, sticking it, you know, to the challenge. I mean, I still see <clears throat> my you know, colleagues tell me, oh, yeah, we played team A the other day. They just basically stick, you know, launching it into the number nine and not, you know, not a quick kind of break. It was literally just sticking it in the channels. Uh, of course, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist and ideally if we could all just, collect our players and coach our players with as much time as possible we probably all want to play a certain style but there's value to it as well that's all the beauty of football is you can play the game any way you want yeah but yeah but let's 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 you know come on come on man let's let's get off that fence mate let's let yeah there's value to everything i'm talking about playing it all the time is there value to players so what would be the argument to just having your philosophy is that with you know what what player what are you preparing your players for I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe look, we're spoiled. <clears throat> I'm massively spoiled. The you know, clubs I've worked at, that they are trying to develop players for the Champions League, for the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? And maybe, you know, maybe the, maybe there's a bit, there's loads of confirmation bias in there. And let's say we're purists. But then you try to say, what is the, you know, argument for, for playing that way? Is it, you know, then maybe you're, you're trying to develop players for, for for not that level of football, I'm not sure. I mean, listen, I I, I mean, I, like I say, it's I can I'll take it. I'll hold your hands. I'm a football purist, but I can you know because mm. we work in youth development and and the clubs we work for. 
Well, at, at, at senior level, if you're talking about senior level, well, if you ask Stoke City, would they want to go back to the football that Tony Pulis was playing and guarantee top 10 in the Premier League? Or if you ask the Burnley fan, are you pleased with being in the Premier League the last eight years? I think their answer would be, look, we're a Premier League team. We're probably overachieving. But with youth football, so I would say there are outcomes, though. So if you want to work, if you want to develop a Harry Kane or Lewandowski, it makes sense. If you just play, 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 and you're incredibly patient and you go too far that way, well, actually, mm. a lot of the hold-up play and the penalty box play becoming a penalty box master. Well, if you're not getting the ball in the box, even, mm. even getting on bits and pieces in the box, there's huge value to that. You become a fox in the box like a default or whatever else. Yeah. But again, it's about there's a huge difference there. So with playing a long pass, it's about for me, it's about purpose, intent, and control. And I say that yeah. to the kids, pick, right? Pick your pass. If you're playing with purpose, if you're playing with good intent, if I can see your intent, but you get a pass wrong, and if you're playing with control, then that's completely different. But obviously, if we're just shelling out the pitch every time, but that's not that's not good for anyone. Do you know what I mean? But but even even a, a, a Sam a Sam Allardyce or Sean Dyson don't play like that. They play with two very good centre forwards. There's fantastic forward passing, and I I'm in youth development, right? To be honest, me personally, I'm against it. So I don't mind the long pass. I don't mind them putting it in the box. If they look up and they see a young Harry Kane in a box, put it in the box. He's got to learn to cross it, control it, play in the penalty box. But um, yeah. with youth football, so you know, I just you only have to be in it for three, four, five years, and we've been in it a long time to know that you lose you lose much more than you gain that, that you're never going to get back. You won't get the time to get that stuff back, and the stuff we're talking about, the courage and all that, and the born with technical quality. Yeah, and then and then I suppose then you look at it the other way, like you talked about, you look at someone like Liverpool. Uh, Klopp's Liverpool, they like to play forward quick, quickly. But as you said, it's it's forward pass, isn't it? It's counter, win the pull, counter press, play forward quickly, breaking lines. That's different, isn't it, to what we just talked about there? That's a different, you know, that's about, you know, possession quickly, direct to play forward, isn't it? They, I mean, they still play. I remember Solskjaer was battering Klopp, wasn't he, at one point many years ago, saying, so, oh, they just, you know, go long. But I mean, it's, it's different to just sticking in channels to try and see Allison with Salah open playing that 30 40 yard pass long pass into feet or just in front of him right yeah exactly and if you think the money that liverpool played paid for andy carroll for example all the way back then he's an excellent football he's still chipping away in the championship right now but he's a different type of football you couldn't put andy carroll in this liverpool team and they wouldn't function the same way if you look at all their forwards so they're all an average height like even diogo hotter's got to be what five foot eight they're all a similar kind of height mané is not the tallest in the world Firmino's probably the biggest uh, but they, they, yes, they play forward quickly, but they know that, wow, we've got, we've got incredible movement, creativity, pace, power, and exceptional finishing across the board. Like they're all chipping in with goals. I think they're getting like 10 goals each on average. So to them, it makes sense to play that heavy metal rock and roll football, whatever it is that Klopp calls it. But that's not neglecting the midfielders. I think they just play through the midfielders a lot quicker. I think that's why maybe Saul Thiago's had to find his place and settle in. He didn't quite adjust at first because you play a lot more possession-based stuff at Barca and Bayern where he's been previously. And I think he's adapting now as well. And you're seeing his longer range passes come into play a lot more as well. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I, I thought, I thought they, I thought they brought, I thought they brought in Thiago for that thing, trying to break down a low block a lot more when they, you know, teams were saying, all right, you know, you know, so for example, those teams at bottom table think, oh, we're playing Liverpool here. We're going to let them have it rather than, you know, mm. get sucked up, let them have break the ball, win it back. And, Sit in a low block and never went for a phase, and they're struggling against those those uh, those teams below that. I thought they, that's why they brought him to have a bit more, you know, directed possession in the middle there. I think that's really important. So, and I think going back to the kids as well. So, if you if we if we plan backwards, so if we look at the top end and say, what does this young lad, um, is it Diaz, the new Liverpool player? What does the what does the new lad 
what, what has he got? So what they've added with him is creativity. And I think bringing it back to the kids as a fundamental element that needs to be in all of your sessions is creativity. I can't stand anything worse than watching a possession session at any level. And every single pass is just so predictable. Like you go, right, I know where he's going now, I know where he's going, I know where he's going. To have that ability like a bus gets to, to look one way and just turn your hips and pull a pass on the inside the other way. Or for me, that's what this lad's brought to Liverpool. And he might be the difference with winning the league title. This 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 lad, Diaz, he's got this, this effervescence about him, Soares, and he's got this playground, this young footballer coming out vibrant, full of energy, mm. courageous. All of the personal qualities we're talking about, we want in our young players. The lad's courageous. You know, he took a hit from the goalkeeper the other day, so he's brave in the penalty box. He's creative. You know, his first goal was a statement for me. He's just dinked it over the goalkeeper. And, and he's it's hard to come into a Liverpool team like that and add something. But this kid's added something. And I think we've got to coach that stuff in kids as well, that creativity and that audacity. Yeah, I mean, you made a good point, didn't you? You're looking at the top level and sort of winding back. You look at that, you look at like Liverpool. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at Liverpool, you look at Man City in particular. They keep the ball well, but they're so good in 1v1 domination around the park. They've got those real technicians and those players to do that. I suppose that's what you work, that's what you're that's what you're looking for, isn't it? A bit of balance, I suppose. You know, if you go too far one way, then the other way. I mean, we talked about Barcelona, but the arguments may be that particularly Spanish football, they're so, you know, obsessed about that possession type, you know, rondo based play in those tight spaces. Maybe that's why they're not producing loads of number nines. So, I mean, why there's no more, you know, they're not producing that many people like Torres who can receive and run behind and destroy teams, that sort of thing. For a footballing culture, maybe that's, you know, synonymous of the sorts of, you know, the, the culture, right? The football culture, you yeah. produce those sorts of players. So, you just try and think, right, so if I'm, you know, how much possession do I work on and how much time do I open the pitch up, give my players, you know, that the, the nines, like you say, chance to, you know, run behind and run mm. forward. So it's having balance, isn't it, in in, in your sessions, how you approach your sessions, the session design, which was the number one show, isn't it? The first one was like, you know, yeah. what do I, what am I giving to my players to, to 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 get them ready for the modern game at the highest level, and then also give them those different sorts of experiences. You know what I mean? So you do get those strikers having those opportunities. Yeah, and I think bringing it back to possession practice, I think. Again, if you coach backwards, Saul, from the first team pitch. So one thing that, that I think they're highly skilled at at Barcelona and Xavi is they they know they know how to bring out the best in their players. So they're not trying to get Busquets to be anything other than what Busquets is. And they've added really important stuff to their team. So I remember if you think back to when Barcelona dominated, Saul, and they had young lads like Teo, Cuenca, uh, they've got David Villa, Omri, you know, they had a lot of pace. And the reason they put pace in the team was to pin the back four and allow the others. And it's interesting that first thing Javi's done, he's gone out and got Adama Traore, who is like a train. He's so quick. Mm. He's got Albamian, who actually now with Busquets, Pedri, Gavi and all them, that's bringing out the best in Albamian. And we said, you know what, guys, you're going to push the game that way. And again, it's about concepts. This is about young kids getting this in their head as well. Because if you've got a fast kid, you want him to play the right role within the possession as they grow this is. So under 11 and below, keep it generic. But as they grow, if your kid's going to be an Adama Traore, well, you've got to play a game that brings out the best in him. So if that's Pedri playing through balls or switching it quickly to get him in a 1v1 situation with a bit of open space... I think they're really good at getting the best out of the best and, and actually knowing, really understanding what does that what does our game need. And if you bring that back to kids, you've got to coach backwards from there. And as they grow, yeah, but, make, make sure you're getting the best out of your individuals as they grow. But if but I mean that's a great example. He's looked at that. They, you know, they they develop these possession kings, these possession beasts, and then they buy in their one v one players, don't they really? I mean, mm. the exception maybe of Pedro, but all those other players you mentioned, you know, those those wise sort of those one v one players, Messi. 
brought in at still 40. I'm not having, you know, the argument that whether he was for an academy or not, but he's still brought in. But they, because of that culture, the players they produce almost, you know, they produce so many of these midfield position players. They need to, 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 to buy in the 1v1 players, the wide players. That makes, which is, you know, that's me just being completely, you know, just... I just stereotype and I don't know that much about that, but is it, I mean, just, it's interesting though, you're thinking about, you know, what sort of, you know, what sort of players football cultures produce, do you know what I mean? You know, so if yeah. you are really heavily dominant on possession, maybe then you don't produce as many of those sorts of types of players in these other positions. It's, it's an interesting sort of thing, I suppose, and you're thinking about, you know, for us as coaches, whether an academy or a club, you know, what sort of culture am I trying to develop here? What sort of players are we trying to develop, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that thing about, Culture is really interesting, so I find it fascinating. So if you look at the last 15, 20 years, I think a lot of the real, real top midfielders have, have come from, in general, I'm just generalising, have come from Spain and Germany, for example, like the Cruces of this world and Ozil, and uh, obviously an abundance of Spanish ones. But then when you look at the individuals culturally as well, it's interesting to see what they would do in terms of possession games. And if a lot of the creativity and individualist players have come from still from either Portuguese background or... South America, like Diaz coming over now, and there's another one apparently that um, Man City have bought, I can't remember his name, but they've just paid about 30 million euros for him. But you look at them individual players that come in and add that little bit extra, it's interesting that they are coming from, uh, from, from certain cultures, but I think it's about balance, and I think England are starting to get that balance, so I think I think we've gone a little bit too much one way, because now we've got a dearth of centre-halves, haven't we? We're saying, where's our we, we've gone from having Ledley King, John Terry. And again, perhaps they was created so from a lot of teams playing 4-4-2, the ball going quite direct. So on the flip side of it, yeah. if you've got strikers learning how to attack, you've got centre-halves learning mm-hmm. how to be really good. Like well, yeah, listen, if the, if the ball's getting pumped up into the final <laughs> got, 35 yeah. minutes, you're getting a lot of contact time, aren't you, on the, in the air yeah. and feet and everything. And, it, I suppose, and, the, and the, the inverse of that is, you know, absolutely, or the reverse of that is... You know, if you're not, you know, if it's everything small sided spaces, more everything ticker tacker or that sort of thing, maybe they're not getting those experiences. And I do think so in terms of the long ball, you know, that possession practice we just said, I think kids, because we, especially if you're lucky to be on a 3G pitch nowadays, the ball always rolls on the turf. So you play the ball on the turf the whole time. And I think what's happening slightly at times, and again, this is about the trade off and having the awareness as a coach to recognise it, is kids can't control the ball in the air as much or as good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so again, to, to skillfully manipulate that in your session, I do something in that practice we just said. So when you've got the three in one box, three in the other box, or it could be four or five, depending on your numbers, depending on age, you can go 6v6. You can go six in that box with three people pressing or two, or 6v3. If you just on the halfway line, instead of having the presser screen in it, put a barrier there, right? So now we've got like these Toberone things or you can put mini goals or you can put mannequins. Put a barrier in the way of that line. So now when you're playing possession, you've got a dink or clip a pass over the top of it while the guys are coming in to press you, if you can picture it. So we're playing 5v2, we clip it over the top of the barrier. Now I've got to receive the ball under pressure on my chest, on my fight aerially, while pressure's coming at me. So again, there's a different outcome there. You're still passing, but you've put a technical element on, first of all, a clip pass, being able to thread that, that little pass over the top or a scoop, whatever technique you want to use. And then you've got a different receiving element just by saying, right, I'm cutting the ground out. I'm putting a barrier in the way of some sort. And then it's the same practice, but you're getting a different technical element. And we've got to be careful of different, different, different technical elements because kids have got to be good at receiving the ball in the air. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, what's your thoughts on, you know, um, touch restrictions, which could also be another <laughs> show in itself in terms of one, you know, one touch, two touch, that sort of thing, three touch in these possession sessions? Yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it if you know what is your objective. If you always bring it back to your players and it's like, 
the why. Why are you doing it? If you can justify why you're doing it, if, if you've got a lad in your session that is far too slow in his thinking and you, th and you want him to see passes a little bit earlier, put him on one touch. Because if you put that little constraint and say, no, for the next five minutes, you must play one touch. You've got to try and force yourself to play one touch. I want you to try. All of a sudden, they, they have to. They have no other choice. They can sometimes get a bit lucky with their one touch passing, but they have to start looking earlier. They have to start planning a pass, scanning and planning a little bit earlier. And yes, it's going to break down quite a bit because it's quite hard to play one touch in a possession at a young age. But again, if your objective is to speed up their thought process, and then once he's done it, say, okay, now you can play whatever you need don't, don't play what you want, play what you need. So if you think you need three or four mm. touches, stay on the ball. If you if you if there was a magnificent one-touch pass on no and you didn't see it, there's a bit of a problem or a challenge for you. Can, can you see it? Have you seen that little one around the corner or that little lovely outside heel flick, that little edge that you do when you bring a player in tight? Do you know what I mean? And it, it depends mm. what your outcome is. I'm all for it, so as long as you can justify it, and as long as there's a learning outcome and you're developing something, whether it's a technical thing or a uh, a football brain thing I'm all for it yeah I think yeah, I'd like to say you know we've talked about before we live in the world of binary opposites don't we it's either no I can never play it's not realistic or yeah we do it all the time like I say it's when and where isn't it what your outcome is going to be I mean I was also say to players look can you try and play quickly? Can you try and do that? So, I mean, I, I mean, working with those some of those Arsenal boys, the 18s, it was like one watching them play one touch Rondo three v two or four v two was unbelievable. The tech, you know, what I mean, Just, you have to play one touch because it's a technical challenge, right? Yeah. But I suppose when and where, like saving that, players you mentioned earlier, that you know those two v two in the middle to two targets, your four around the side, bang bang, that sort of thing. Like when I'm doing those that, those third man movements, that you know, you that the, the target player is not allowed to play through to the next target. Unless he's unreceiving one touch. So you play wide, it comes back and split past one touch, and then he can play one touch, that sort of things. Because, like, say, what it does is it heightens the intensity, the, the anxiety, the awareness, the challenge, isn't it? Right. Oh, mm. well, I can play one touch here. You know, if it comes back, I can do the split pass. And, like, I say, we're going back to those 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 uh, sessions, sessions earlier, I was talking about those 3v3 three 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 to one magic man or 4v4 one magic man. Just get your head up. You know, you don't have to play one touch, but the challenge is can you? Before the ball comes, can you just zip it and find a spare pass? If there's a spare pass somewhere on his pitch, you know, you've got to find it. That's your challenge. And then, like I say, it goes back to the stuff with Kevin, didn't it? That scanning things that suddenly now I'm getting my head up. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about where I'm doing it. I know, you know, the challenge is can I play quickly here? Can I find that split pass with one touch? You know, it's a different challenge, isn't it? I'm, I've got a bit more awareness. I've got my head up. I'm seeing what's going on around me. Yeah, definitely. And again, sometimes you do want to speed things up. But I've also had players where, especially if they're naturally fast in their feet in terms of a leg runner, they their world is so fast. Like some of these young lads run, well, they, they run faster than I can drive my car, some of them. And, and you think you're going so fast, but at the opposite end of it, so sometimes I want them to slow it down. You know, when they get in the attacking third, they're going so fast, they're running like rabbits when actually then they just kick the ball off the pitch. Or, but that's because they haven't managed to slow the game down in their head. Like an Omri was the yeah, best yeah. at it, wasn't he? Absolutely slowing the game down, a little bit more thought, maybe an extra touch. It needs an extra touch here. So then on the, on the flip side of it, sometimes it's good to tell players, put them in a bigger space maybe, but say, look, you have to take three touches on the ball because everyone goes, yeah, play one and two touch, one and two touch. Well, actually, mm. playing more than three touches is, again, it's a part of developing that skill and intuition. It's like, no, put your foot on the ball. You've got a bit of time. Really have a look at the game. Don't be afraid. goes back to this, linking it to last week talk about, about the conducting stuff. Don't be afraid to be the conductor. Just literally put your studs on the ball. Have a little walk on the ball. 
and look at the game. Look at the game there. Where's the best pass? Mm. Or have you got to drop your shoulder to break your line, whether you're, you're the centre half or the centre midfielder? Do you know what I mean? And again, that, again, that's the skill of coaching. I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence quite a lot, but it is the skill of coaching, is it? When do you need to get your player to play quicker? When do they need to be slower? And 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 why? Do you understand why and what it is you're asking of your player? Yeah, it's just that constraint, isn't it? It's like little, maybe Jimmy's like unbelievable, you know, he beats players for far near it out now, you know, I want them to try and play one touch or two touch. You know I mean, I put them on a constraint because, you know, it's like I say, when, when and where, what's, what, what I'm looking for from my players. I just think as well, just like, as we want getting near the end of the show, it just, you know, I, I mentioned this the other day, I was talking to Zeb Jacobs on, on the My Personal Football Coach uh, podcast. He's new head of coach at Rangers and he was saying the same, like, you know, he loves a 1v1 duel, he loves that bit. And we both said, you know, too much reliance on, rondos and possession stuff at an early age what you find is what i've seen you know when i'm traveling or doing presenting at these conferences or just doing sessions is that when you ask a player to solve a problem themselves you put them in a little 1v1 or a 2v2 where there's no overload they really struggle because they're used to just getting out pop it plans say passes sideways pop 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 do you know what i mean you say actually no well i want you to solve the problem yourself here <laughs> do you know what i mean you know you Absolutely. that that boy or that girl's got to say no you've got you know you've got to break the line yourself whether it's pass forward or breaking pressure or, or dribbling forward you've got to do it and that's a real obviously important unique skill set talking about the 1v1 jaw again is that's really important and i just find when i see all those you know players that you know the plan those those under the sevens, under eight students, rondos all the time, all the time, which is great. I mean, like Man City got good balance. I've watched them, you know, they, they you know, they, they do loads of possession stuff, but like the younger age foundation, lots of 1v1, loads of ball mastery, lots of different, you know, lots of different variations. Do you know what I mean? And when you get older, mm. you can be a bit more specific and say, right, now it's about moving the ball. Do you know what I mean? So, so I just think that's really important, you know, from, from my, when I always think about it, I say, yeah, I want my teams to be able to, be able to move the ball, play one or two touch, keep possession, but, you know, if you want to develop those players who can also break the ball, break the lines with the ball at their feet, then, you know, they're not going to do that unless you give them the opportunity to do that and train it a lot. You know, has that real key part of your coach, do you know what I mean? Definitely, mate. And what I would say to be careful of coaches, especially at grassroots, and I'll be honest, I was really guilty of doing this myself, especially in my early 20s or late teens when I first started coaching. In the first five years of coaching, so I think I was... I wanted everything to look good. Oh, great passing patterns look good. It looks nice and neat. And everyone comes over and applauds your session. Great. But now I look at the opposite. I, I think, wow, this session's got to get a bit messier here at times. It's got to be, get a bit chaotic. We've got yeah. to create, we've got to create a bit of discomfort in our possession sessions. It's far too easy. Like chucking that that spoiler in there, like a cante to run around like a rabbit and put the pressure on the ball or squashing the pitch because it's far too easy. Because if your starting point is you go in with a perfect looking paint by numbers football session. Where's your session going to go from there? Where's the problems to solve? And it's really interesting you said about um, a fella at, at, at Glasgow Rangers that the problem solving is the key thing here, so, isn't it? Because it's all about finding a solution to the game. And, and the complexity is because there are so many potential solutions, because if you press pause when Kevin De Bruyne's got to put his feet, there'll be lots of options. But it's about finding one and finding a good one. And I think I talk about responsible sort of responsibilities and, and take responsibility. I use that word a lot with my coaching. Take responsibility. Mm. You play the pass. Stop passing the butt past the ball. You exactly. drop your shoulder. And then, but also it's a play on words a little bit, but you've got to be, yes, you've got to be responsible, but you've got to be response able. If you can't respond to the situation in front of you and you're and, and you haven't got that response mechanism and your your response is, oh, I'm scared. Just pass it to Saul and let Saul go and do it because Saul's a better player. Exactly. That's where us as coaches have really got to intervene because, yes, Saul might be the best player in the group, 
but I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be, (laughs) but I'm never going to be at my best or get to my best if I'm allowed to keep getting away with it. So as a skill, be mindful of that. And, and also, you know, when you're working at academy football, the highest level, that's what it's about. You know, we've got players, you've got to challenge your players and develop players to, who can take that. Otherwise, you know, what chance have they got if you never give them the, the chance to do that, right? They're going to have to put in terms of getting a contract down the line. Just partly, I think you made a good point there about the chaos, isn't it? So again, come back to the original point. You know, what it looks like at the Premier League at the highest level, with you, you know, with your, with your, your Liverpools and your, your, your Man Cities, doesn't look like that at the youngest. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a long road to get there, right? Don't, don't, don't feel, you know, I don't think, you should hopefully don't feel the pressure that you should, you know, your under nines, your under tens should be yeah. trying to replicate the way Guardiola plays. You want that chaos. You want that, you know, that messy sessions. I think that's really important, isn't it? But last, last, and say last, last little last word on this, Glenn. What was, you know, any last takeaways on, on, on your, in your possession? Yeah. So t- t- two or three things, like we say, I, I always still keep bringing it back to the individual. And I know we're going on a lot about this one V one duel, but you are trying to produce individual footballers that then go and fit into a team. And, and all a team is anyway, isn't it? Is, is an accumulation of individual parts. So if you've got loads, so, so Barcelona were a slightly weaker team recently in terms of efficiency. Why? Because they never had some of the Ferraris and they've added that to their game. And they're, they're now going to complement the wonderful passes of the ball. So keep bringing it back to your individuals. Be be skillful in your session design. So don't worry about doing a possession game because if there is an overload, always remember there's still an underloaded team. So if tonight we're going to play 5v3s or 4v2s, do whatever maths you want. Yes, one team are going to get a bit more time on the ball and be able to play the spare man. And they have to do that because it's part of football. But again, bring your focus back. Remember there's two teams in there. You're always coaching, the attacking and defending. So the team are free. When the free win it and they're overloaded, set them a really extreme individual target. So you as a free now, can you combine and get clever passes to break out? Or can you stay on the ball to twist and turn and break out and even put little goals at the end? So again, that's just about skillful management of your session. And you're not just coaching the possession team. You're also coaching the counter possession team as well. And, and there could be some absolutely outstanding individual um, outcomes within that overload practice session as well. Excellent. Uh, cheers, done as usual. And also, look, guys, if you've got any questions or any ideas for topics for shows or pick guests you'd like to see on the show, just drop us a line. You can email me, Saul, at mypersonalfootballcoach.com or on Twitter, mypersonalcoach, or in um, message the coaching family page. Uh, but thanks for listening. Glenn, thanks very much, mate, again. And I hope you're having a good day out there. And I'll see you next week. Cheers, mate. Take care. Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family.